Welcome to the Overflow Podcast. We pray you are encouraged by this message. For more info, notes, or other messages, download the Overflow Church app or visit our website at overflowdfw.com. Society, our culture is totally uh, inundated with this uh, mindset of survival. Right? You guys know what I'm talking about? We have all these TV shows. Uh, I want to say probably 15 years ago, the, the show Survivor came out. You guys, how many of you all watch survival shows? You watch, you know, Naked and Afraid or, or something like that, which we, we watch Naked and Afraid, not because it's got naked in the name. I mean, it's funny, like, we, I was like, well, I don't want to watch that, Naked and Afraid. But if you understand the context of the show, it's, it's about survival. And all these shows are about survival. The Walking Dead, if you're into The Walking Dead, it's not really about zombies. It's about survival. So we're just, we're totally consumed with this idea of survival. Could I survive if I didn't have my house? Could I survive if I didn't have electricity or internet or a cell phone? Could I really survive? So we're, we're totally like obsessed with this idea of being able to survive without uh, the comforts of our modern world. How many of you guys know what I'm talking about? We're totally inundated with that idea. But can I tell you today that, that God didn't call you to be a survivor? Jesus didn't say that I've come that you might have life, the end. Right? He said, I've come that you might have life and that you might have life more abundantly. What does that mean? That means that you have an over, an, an, an over abundance, an overstock of life. How I many you know that you can only give what you have left over? If all you have is life, and the, the reality is, is most people on the planet, Christians and non-Christians alike, have life. That's it. And so what we do is we live heart-wise, paycheck to paycheck. We live enough for today, and, and there's, uh, there's a lot of, of great, great things in there with daily bread and all that kind of stuff. But Jesus didn't come to give you a supply to get you through the day. He came to give you a supply that you could give away what's left over. That you would live in the overflow, overabundant life. God didn't call you to be a survivor our mission is not survival. Our mission is revival. It's our mission. It's who we are. It's what we bring. It's what we do. It's how we function. I am not, God didn't, if God wanted you to just survive, then what would have happened as soon as you got saved, he would have raptured you into heaven. Man, that's good. Boom, now you're with me. But God has called us to something greater, that we would steward this life that we have. But we can only steward if we have enough. But most of us are content with to live day to day, paycheck to paycheck in our spirit. And we don't live in revival, we live in survival. So Jesus didn't come to simply give you a get out of hell free card. Right? That's kind of how we've treated Christianity for, for millennials, right? Come to Jesus so you can get out of hell. Come to Jesus so God can have a wonderful plan for your life. It's all about you. It's all about you. It's all about you. It's all about your situation, your circumstance. Listen, you've got to be healthy. Are you with me? You've got to be in connection with God. But he didn't come just so you could be better. He came so that you could make the world better. He came to get you in on his plan for the earth. So God didn't come just so you could have, God loves me and has a wonderful plan for your life. That is not the full extent of the gospel. 
The full extent of the gospel is this. God loves you, and he wants to get you in on his plan for the earth. How many of you know that God has a plan for the earth? He doesn't just have a plan for you. He has a plan for everyone. You, you know the people that you work with, the people that get on your nerves? God has a plan for them. God has a plan for them. Well, who's going to show them the plan? Is God going to show up in a vision? Is God going to show up in a, a super? And maybe. We hope that happens. That's awesome. But how about God using you? How about God using the life that you have inside of you to release that? And let me just say this also. The quicker you learn this concept, the quicker you learn this concept, you'll see that your situation is not near as big as you think. Because what happens is situations come in and they distract us from our mission. Are you with me? Situations distract us from our mission. So see, this is the deal. Jesus start, started off this whole statement, John 10, which we were talking about a little bit this morning. He's, he said this, that the thief comes to what? To steal, kill, and destroy. But I've come that you might have life and life more abundantly, right? And so if what he's given you is not just enough for you, but enough that you would have to give away a surplus, come on, then what is the devil's assignment to steal, kill, and destroy. Well, he didn't come to just rob you of your joy. I mean, he wants to rob you of your joy, but you've got to understand that with the devil, there's a big picture too. With the enemy, there is a big picture. God has a big picture. So does the devil. So the devil knows this. If I can rob their joy, if I can get them thinking about their life all the time, their situation all the time, then what I can do is rob them of their influence. So really, the enemy's assignment for you is not just to rob you of emotional health or physical health, but to rob you of your influence. God created you for influence. Well, I'm just not really a leader. I just kind of go with the flow. That's a lie from the devil. You are a leader because leadership is influence. Nothing more, nothing less. That's what, if you study John Maxwell, that's, what, that's a rule. That's right there. That, if there's a refutable law of leadership, that's what the irrefutable law. If you could say, what is leadership? That's what leadership is. It's influence. And all of us have the power of influence, whether it's our family, whether it's coworker, even if it's one person for the rest of your life, God has called you to release life on this world. Are you with me? Okay. So God didn't call us to be survivors, but revivers. And when you learn that, you're going to realize that every attack, it's, it's not personal. <laughs> Understand, the enemy attacking you is an assignment on the kingdom of God being expanded. That's why we talk about the devil's not on your back, he's on your side. That's the reason why we talk about all this assignment from the devil. It's really not about you. It's about your influence. It's about that seed that you're carrying. It's about the, the, the potential revival that you carry in your life. So if he can get you distracted because the bills aren't getting paid, or if he can get you distracted because you had a fight with your spouse on the way to church, or if he can get you distracted because your child has an issue, or because you're sick, or because whatever, whatever the distraction, if he can just get you focused on you and your little world, then you won't influence the world outside. So the, the, the enemy's big plan is to get you distracted so that you won't focus on your assignment. Come on, are you with me? Now, when I think about revival, I think about this man in Scripture named Elijah. How many of you guys have heard of Elijah? There was Elijah and then his spiritual son, Elisha, who carried the double portion. But we're going to talk about Elijah just for a minute this morning. In 1 Kings chapter 17, now, Elijah, uh, if, you, if you know anything, he carried, he possessed 
a, a revival spirit. He, he was a prophet of God. And Elijah was, man, he was all about destroying anything that opposed God's kingdom. And what happened is there was a drought in the land. And Elijah moves to this town called Zarephath. And he, he shows up at this town. He, he's moving into town. And he's hungry. And he goes to this woman. There's a woman there. And he says, hey, um, make me a sandwich. Right? He said, he said, I want some bread. And she said, sir, I know you want bread. But listen, all we have is enough bread for me and my family. We only have enough for us. We can't give any away. And he said, listen, woman, if you will go and you will make me a sandwich, then you'll have not only a sandwich for today left over, but you'll have sandwiches until the drought is over. Right? You'll have enough bread. You'll have enough oil. You'll never run out. You will have enough for the rest of your life if you'll give it to God. How I many you know there's a lesson in that? If we will just steward what God has given us... And this is what I believe, and this is the takeaway with this. If I steward what God has given me well, whether it be financial, whether it be emotional, whether it be energy, if I steward that well, if I make sure that I'm getting it out of my hands, God will make sure that my supply never runs out. See, the thing is, is I've realized that, that, that I'm, I'm a little bit of an encourager most of the time. Right? And what I've found is that rarely do I live my life without encouragement. And sometimes that comes directly from the Lord. Sometimes I have to encourage myself. Sometimes others will come and encourage me. Why? Because I've learned to steward encouragement. So I might have a bad day or a bad two or three days, but I don't have bad weeks and months and years. I'm not bragging. I'm just telling you, I've learned to steward encouragement. So I'll make sure that it's my job to not come in and go, wow, the atmosphere is so discouraging. I've made it my job to say, I'm going to bring encouragement to the atmosphere. And so God makes sure, because I've agreed with his assignment to bring encouragement, he makes sure that I never run out of encouragement. And I can tell you, when you make sure to steward what is inside of you, steward the gift of heaven, when you make sure to steward, God will make sure that you never run out, that you always have a supply, because you are about the kingdom business. All right, back to this. So then he prophesies this, and then it says this, that she went away and did as Elijah told her, and so there was enough food for the woman and her family, and the jar of flour was not used up, and the jug of oil would not run dry. Her supply never ran dry. Why? Because she put it in God's hands. First Kings, first Kings right here, verse 17, and here's the story. So sometime later, the son of this woman, who we're talking about, who owned the house became ill. Her son, her, her uh the son, the son of the house became ill. He grew worse and worse and finally stopped breathing. I mean, you know, that's not good news. So she said to Elijah, what do you have against me, man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? I mean, you know that she was not thinking properly. Give me your son, Elijah replied. And he took him from her arms and carried him to the upper room where he was staying. And he laid him on the bed. And then he cried out to the Lord, O Lord, my God, have you brought tragedy upon this, also upon this widow that I'm staying by causing her son to die? So even Elijah is starting to believe what this woman had spoken. He's like, God, did you take this kid out? What are you doing here? How many of you have ever been like that with the Lord? Then, I love this, then. How many of y'all love the then? Then he stretched himself on the boy, out on the boy, the dead boy. 
he wasn't alive, the dead boy stretched himself out on the boy three times and cried out to the Lord. Oh, Lord, my God, let this boy's life return to him. Then the Lord heard Elijah's cry, and the boy's life returned to him, and he lived. Elijah picked up the child and carried him down from the room into the house. And he gave him to the mother and said, look, your son is alive. Then the woman said to Elijah, I know that you're a man of God, and the word of the Lord from your mouth is the truth. I want to talk this morning about releasing revival. Releasing revival. How many of you want to release revival? You want revival, you want personal revival, but you want to see revival released. How many of you want to see revival released? The first thing that we have to do if we're going to see revival released on the earth, number one is we've got to take responsibility. I love that it says right there in verse 19, Elijah says, give me your son. He doesn't go, well, I'll pray for him. Come on. I'll pray for your son. I, I'm sorry you have, you know, we'd, we'd just be praying. We'll just agree with you in prayer. We're just, we're just going to believe God is going to do, you know, you know, all things work together for good that those that love him and are called to, just trying to say that, no, no, no. He didn't just have an encouraging word. He took responsibility. He said, give me your son. Give me your son. I will take him. Listen, God wants revival on the earth, but he wants us to bring it. See, we, we pray, God, send revival, send revival. We love that. And yes, do we want to pray that? Absolutely. We want to pray that God will send revival. But listen, we have got to take responsibility for revival because God moves when his people respond. See, that's when my God moves. My God doesn't come and move sovereignly often, right? I mean, we see sometimes God just moves and does something, and there was no human involvement whatsoever, right? We love that. That's a, what we call that is a sovereign move of God. God just came in. He stepped in. He said, just move aside. I've got this, right? We see that a lot of times. But typically, God doesn't move that way. Typically, God moves like this. Boom! He puts something in Nathan's heart. And then Nathan does that. Like, when, like for instance, say you need $500,000, And God's like, I want to provide that for them. So what God does is he says this. Let me tell you what what God usually doesn't do is just supernaturally makes $500,000 appear in your bank account. He could. And that does happen. But typically the way it works is this. God says, I'm looking for partners. I want someone who wants to be in on the miracle. Who will be in on the miracle? So he lays on your heart $100,000. Shala. He lays on you. I mean, I would, I would love to have $100,000, but I would really love to give away $100,000. Right? I mean, $100,000 would be great. We could do a lot with $100,000, but I'd really rather have $100,000 to give away. And we're talking a lot about money this morning. It's really weird. I don't like talking about money. Um, so God, listen, God moves on the earth when his people respond. That's how God moves. Are you with me on that? Again, God didn't call you to survive your personal journey, but to revive somebody else's. So take responsibility. Number two is it starts in the upper room. See, Elijah, what we know about him in this story with this woman is it says that he took the boy to the upper room where he was staying. 
This wasn't a room that he visited occasionally. It was a place that he lived in. How many know that God has never stopped using the upper room? God has never stopped using the room that you go to to meet with him. We see the upper room, the great upper room in the book of Acts, right? We see 120 people go up there and start, and Jesus said, I'm going to send you a gift. Why don't you go and wait and pray and believe me, and I'm going to send my spirit. And so what happens is they go, and they're in this room, they're praying, and then God sends his spirit. We've, we've talked about this a little bit in this series. The Holy Spirit comes down. They all get land blasted. And then they steward the Holy Spirit. They go out and they start sharing the move of God that happened in that room. But I can tell you today that if you don't have the room moment, the movement will not happen out there. What does your upper room look like? Where do you live with God's presence? See, the upper room is the place of empowerment and connection with God. Don't expect, don't expect God to move through you unless you're allowing yourself to spend some time to get alone with God. To find that place. You say, man, I, my, I, I, just, I, I just, man, I have such a hard time. You know, I don't really have any time to spend with Jesus. And don't expect to influence your culture. I want revival. I'm going to pray and fast. When? When are you going to pray? When the church has a prayer meeting. No, no, no. Where's your upper room? Where's the place that you connect with God? It doesn't have to be an upper room. It could be the couch at 6 o'clock in the morning. I know. That's no fun. It could be your bed at 1030 at night. But where is your upper room? Where are you connecting and getting powered, empowered by God? Where? And, and it's not just of a place. But listen, I also believe this. It's also from an experience. Because we see this in the book of Acts, that they experience this great power. And upper, it, it says this. This is what happened with the disciples. Check this out. This is what it says about the disciples. It says they turned the world upside down. They turned the world upside down. Why? Because they experienced the Holy Spirit in a room. So that's why we've been having these Sunday nights, because we're trying to cultivate an upper room experience. So you need to get here tonight. Commercial. We now return to our scheduled program. God wants to move in your life. He wants you to have experiences. It's not, we don't live from experience to experience, don't get me wrong. But we need to have markers along the way, along the journey that says, man, I remember that day. I don't even know what happened. I just remember that I was there and it's just like, oh, it's like I went from like level eight in empowerment to like level 11 and I never went back. Right? Now, every day you need to be growing. Come on, every day you need to be notching up. But there's going to be moments that you, then you're just like, Man, God hit me, and I was just like, wow, he's crazy, and it's, everything changed. Right? These intense moments. We love the intense moments, and we need to understand that the move of God always starts in the upper room. I love that Peter, when we talk about Peter, and we talked a little bit about this in the series, Peter was a coward, man. He never knew when to shut his mouth, Right? He was always getting into trouble. And those are the stories we like to tell about Peter because we connect with that, right? Oh, I run my mouth too much. I, you know, I, I deny Jesus. I do all this, like, stupid things. So we're like, well, I like Peter. Peter's just like me. But you've got to understand that Peter changed. 
Something happened to Peter in the upper room. And when he come out of that room, he was no longer cowardly, but he was courageous. He was a man that come out of a room that preached the gospel and thousands got saved. Here was a man that couldn't even answer one person that he followed Jesus and now he's proclaiming them to thousands and they're getting saved. His shadow's falling on people and they're getting healed. Why? Because he had an upper room experience. It all starts in the upper room. Can I tell you today that God never stopped using the upper room. The upper room is, is where we take dead things to revive them. Number three, it's already in you. Everybody say, look at your neighbor and say, it's in you. It's in you. Tell your other neighbor, it's in you. Can I tell you today that you have resurrection life inside of you? You have resurrection. You already did? Cool, cool. Thank you. I'm burning up up here. I do. I do. It's already in you. We have resurrection inside of us. It's, there's a, uh, Jonathan David Hessler has a song that says, resurrection in my veins. I love that. I love that. That, that there is resurrection. Did you know that, that once you've come into agreement with God for your life, once you've trusted Jesus with your life, that, that, that he, put, he put his permanent DNA in you that you will never experience death? You'll experience, your body will fall and die, but you will never experience it. You will live forever. You have resurrection. In fact, one day you'll get a glorified body. You'll have a body that's better than the body that you could ever, you know, eat, ride, and work out and get. You'll get a resurrected body. You'll get a body like Jesus has right now. So, so you're going to die, and you're going to be like, oh, my body, I don't want to die. You die, and then one day a trumpet's going to sound, and we're going to, and the, the corruptible will take upon incorruptible. We'll be changed. We'll be transformed and we'll be like him. Okay, check it out. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. Can you get this this morning? The Spirit of God who raised Jesus, who, not, not what raised Jesus, the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. He lives in you. He doesn't come upon you like he did in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, the Spirit would come upon people and they'd do something great and then the Holy Spirit would leave. No, no, no. Now, the Holy Spirit lives in us. He abides in us. He makes his dwelling. We are his home. We are his temple, right? Check this out. Lives in you. And just as God raised Christ from the dead, he will give life to your mortal body. So you have a body that's decaying. It's mortal. You're going to die, right? You're not immortal. You're mortal. But he will give life to your mortal, mortal bodies and your moral bodies by the same spirit living in you. So Jesus, dead Jesus, Jesus was dead. How many of you know that Jesus was dead and he's alive now and he's going to live forever? When he was dead, something resurrected him. What resurrected, it wasn't something resurrected, it was someone who resurrected him. It was the Holy Spirit. Did you know that same spirit that went into this very same spirit 2,000 years ago that went into dead Jesus and resurrected him from the dead, that same spirit lives inside of you. It lives inside of you. It doesn't come and go. It doesn't matter how, if you sit on the front row or the back row or whether you have chill bumps or you don't have chill bumps, it lives in you. He lives in you. The Holy Spirit lives in you. He doesn't come and go. You sin, you screw up, he doesn't leave. Instead he goes, hey, watch it. 
right? Come on. He lives in you. He didn't put his spirit in you so you could make it through the day or to give you goosebumps, right? It helps us. He, he, he helps us get through the day. He gives us goosebumps sometimes. It's great. We love that. But he put his spirit in you so that you could do what Jesus was doing. So you could do what Jesus did on the earth. Remember when Jesus said that greater things because I go to the Father? That's what he's talking about, the spirit. Because I go to the Father, then I'm going to smell my spirit, and you're going to do what I've been doing. You're going to say what I've been saying. You're going to lay hands on sick people, and they're going to, you're going to run into Lazarus, and you're going to call him out of the grave. You're going to do greater things than I did, more things than, I'll do, than I did because my spirit's in you. So maybe what we're asking God for is already here. It's just waiting to be released. Once having been asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would, call, would come, Jesus replied, the kingdom of God does not come with, care, with your careful observation. I love how the NIV says that. The kingdom of God does not come with your careful observation. Hmm, where's the kingdom? Let's see. Oh, that's the kingdom over there. I know how many of you know a lot, a lot of believers maybe before that were operating in discernment that said, Oh, that's the kingdom. That's the kingdom. Careful observation. That's the kingdom. Yes, that's the kingdom. Oh, that's not the kingdom. Jesus said, no, 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 listen. The kingdom of God does not come a careful observation, nor will people say, here it is or there it is. Because the kingdom is within you. The kingdom is within you. So how about we stop asking, and we need to ask for the kingdom. Come on, we, we, we asked for that. Jesus told us to ask for that. But, but maybe what we need to focus also on is releasing what's in us. What, you know what the word kingdom means? Kingdom means this. King's domain. King's dominion. King's power, empowerment over, ruling over. It's a governmental term. It's, it's to rule over. The king's government, governments, governance is the word, right? Governance, is that right? So how does the king, my king Jesus, rule over sickness? With healing. Right? How does my king rule over lack? With provision. That's what the kingdom looks like. So what we're asking when we say, Lord, let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, is what we're asking is that the king's dominion, the rulership of God, would come and take over. That's what we're asking for. But it's not only what we're asking for, it's also what we're demonstrating. So what happens is when discouragement comes and we go, Oh, I'm just so discouraged. I'm so burned out. You know what we're doing? We're bowing our knee to a different kingdom. We're bowing our knee to the kingdom of the age. I'm not hating on you today, but listen, we've got to understand that the kingdom is in us. It's already in you. It's already in you. Listen, everything that you are going to go through in your life, God has given you enough power to overcome that. Greater is he that is in you than he is in the world. Every obstacle, every tragedy that you'll ever face, and let me just say this, most of you have not, and I don't know that many of you, how many of you have been through hardships in your life? Can I tell you today, I've been through hardships today, the most difficult thing that we've gone through, we, have, we will go through, has not happened yet. But by the Spirit of God, we will overcome. You can expect tragedy, you can expect heartache, you can expect loss, all those things you can expect, but we have a kingdom inside of us that's greater. It's an unshakable kingdom. Y'all are out today? Number four. 
It cost us our comfort. It cost us our comfort. I, I hear this statement all the time, right? I'm a pastor. I hear people uh, talk, well, you know, I'm just not comfortable. It's not comfortable at church there. I, I hear that a lot of times people come here. They're like, oh, we, I love coming to church here because I'm comfortable. I'm like, well, I hope you feel at home, but I hope you don't stay comfortable. Because God didn't call us to comfort. If God called us to comfort, then we wouldn't need the comforter, right? You only need a comforter is when you're uncomfortable. So God calls us many times to, to, to uncomfortable situations. Some of you, God this morning will call you to the mission field to sell everything you have and move to a God-forsaken land, appearingly God-forsaken land. Or maybe it is God-forsaken and he wants to show up and he wants to take you there to bring God. Right? Thank God he's not calling me there. But uh, I can tell you what, when God called us to plant a church, I was like, uh-uh, because I knew how uncomfortable it is. People think ministry is easy. And ministry is is do you you know the number two hardest job in America is lead pastoring. Why would I want to do that? Because I want to be comfortable. Because I want to play golf. It doesn't work that way. It's very difficult. It, it has a lot of difficult things attached to it. It's stressful. But God doesn't call us to comfort. I love this. What Elijah does here. It says that he stretched himself out on the boy. Listen, if it was easy, if it was common, everybody would do it. But you're not common. You're uncommon. You're a revivalist. And you're willing to do what nobody else will do because you want to see what nobody else has seen. So you're willing to pay the price. And you're willing to go through seasons of discomfort. Why? Because you know that God has a mandate on your life. So you're willing to stretch yourself out. And it's ugly. Can I remind you that it wasn't just a boy that he was stretching himself out. It was a dead boy. That's weird. That's ugly. Probably stinky and cold. He stretched himself out on the boy. Now, his spiritual son, Elisha, if you, if you will study that out, he did a similar situation. And it said that he got on the dead body. It says eye to eye, mouth to mouth. Like he stretched himself out. like. A, and I think that he probably learned that from his, his spiritual father, Elijah. So probably the same thing that he did here. He stretched himself out on this dead body. That's uncomfortable. Oh, I just want to be comfortable. It doesn't work that way. You will have the comforter. You will be okay. It will be comforting to know that you're doing the will of God. Hmm. When was the last time? When was the last time you stretched yourself out on a dead thing? Something that was unfruitful, something that wasn't fun, something you didn't want to do. I mean, I can't, I can't imagine Elijah having dreams, ambitions one day. He's like, man, one of these days, people are going to bring dead people to me, and I'm going to lay on top of them and stretch out on them. Can't wait. You know what I'm saying? It wasn't on his, it wasn't on his you know, his poster, yeah, bucket list, or on his poster on the wall. One day. I will stretch myself out on dead people. No, but I do believe maybe in his heart he thought, one day I'll raise the dead. And he knew that being uncomfortable might be part of the process. 
When was something of no benefit to you worth you breathing life on it? Because this is what we do, right? We just, we just work everything that works for us. We kind of give ourselves to something that's comfortable, something that we see value in, something that can benefit our society. To, oh, you don't, you know, you don't, I hear this, I hear this ministry training all the time. You just, you need to take care of you. You need to do you, be you. Be, I don't see this model in scripture. I don't see where Jesus said, you know, let me, let me just let somebody else carry the cross. You don't need to carry the cross. No, no, no. He's a big, big, Paul said, I die daily. What God has called us to is not a road of comfort. It's, it's the straight and narrow. It's not the wide and easy. It's difficult. But you know that God has an assignment, and you want to see revival. So you're different. You're willing to pay the price that nobody else is willing to pay. You're willing to do the prayer. You're willing to do the fast. You're willing to do that. You're really willing to dig in and wake up early and do all that. Why? Because you want to see a revival. And you're not complacent. And you're hungry and you're desperate for it. So you're willing to pay the price even though it's uncomfortable. We want to complain with what makes us uncomfortable and get away from it. God says, stretch yourself out on it. Let's see what can happen. God's heart is that we'd be willing, that we'd be willing to go to the extremes to revive people that we are annoyed by. I hear it all the time. I, I say it sometimes. I just get on my nerves. It's just so draining. You know? And I'm like, what am I going to do about it? I'm going to sit around and complain about it? Because that does a lot of good. Oh, look at me. I'm so important. <laughs> They're annoying. <laughs> I mean, how, like, audacious is that? Like, how ridiculous is it for me to say that? They're so, they, they annoy me. Oh, it's just so annoying. What are you, like... Who are you? Like, what do you think? I mean, yeah, you're a son of the king of kings, but remember how he served. <laughs> yeah. You want to talk about royalty? Let's talk about how Jesus serves. Jesus serves like a king and rules like a servant. That's how we rule, like a servant. So he stretches his boy out. Are we willing? Are we willing? Number five, consistency counts. Consistency counts. I know I'm throwing a lot at you this morning. Listen, consistency counts. I love that he stretched himself out on the boy three times. He didn't just do the uncomfortable thing one time. This is what we do, right? Oh, I tried that once. <laughs> didn't work for me. What would have happened if he would have gave up the first time? I stretched myself. I really felt like the Lord was calling me to stretch myself out on the boy. And so I did it, and nothing happened. God bless you. Stay dead. Listen, I believe this. I believe that Elijah would have done it 50 times. I believe he would have done it 150 times. Why? Because he wanted to see life enter this young man's life. I believe that he loved this young man. He was living there. He was basically uh, like a live-in, you know, person that was living with them for a season of their life. And he was living in this room up, up, upstairs in some room in the house. They were providing for him. And, and here's this boy. He wanted to see life enter him. And he did it. He prayed for him three times like this. I mean, if God called me to stretch myself on somebody dead like that, I'd be like, okay, Josh, I want you to go to a funeral home and stretch yourself out on dead people. <laughs> Get behind me, Satan, right? Come on. So you show up, you sneak, out, sneak in in the middle of the night, 2 o'clock in the morning, make sure the place is shut down. You know the body's there. You go and you stretch yourself out on the body. Okay, Lord, I'm done. Nothing happened. I was obedient. Jesus wants us fruitful, not just obedient. 
Maybe obedience is just doing it until God says stop. Or the other thing that we do is we assume it's not God's will. Oh, I tried that. It didn't work. It wasn't God's will. I mean, could he not have said that? Well, I tried stretching myself out on the boy, and it didn't work. I guess it wasn't God's will. No, he did it three times. Maybe it's God's will that we go after the miracle. Can I tell you this, that a life of consistency is more effective than a moment of intensity. We've got to have the markers. We've got to have the intense moments, but it's the consistency of your life. That's what's going to bring revival. Listen, you show up at work tomorrow, and you start ministering to somebody kind of on a low-key, like a break time. Come on, are you with me? Like you're being considerate because they're working. Somebody's paying them to work, not have you minister to them. But you get a moment with somebody at work or at school, you're during a break time or afterwards, and you're ministering to them. The one, one moment of intensity might not change anything. But influence will come with the consistency. You continue to pray. I, I, I'm just praying. I'm just praying. I'm just praying. I'm just praying. What we do is we say we're going to pray and we lie. We don't ever pray for people. Maybe God didn't want you to pray for somebody. Maybe he wants you to pray with them, which is a big difference. And maybe more than once. I, uh, I went to the chiropractor, uh, chiropractor. Leslie hates how I say chiropractor. Chiropractor. I'm going to a chiropractor on Friday because I've been doing some work around the church and I've been, you know, building stuff. And I don't normally do that kind of thing, right? Like, that's just not my normal thing. I, I enjoy it, but it's just not what I normally do. And so um, I, uh, I was working real hard for weeks. And so I went into the car- chiropractor and I went in and uh, he's like, hey, how you doing? It was real busy. And he always like wants to take all this time to talk. He's a great guy. His name's Dr. Manley, which just makes me feel good, right? To go see Dr. Manley to bring me an adjustment. It's like, yeah, I'm going to a manly chiropractor. So I go in, and he, and I, I just told him, I was like, man, I just really messed up. My back's messed up. My neck's messed up. I'm just all, like, bent out of shape. And he's like, yeah, yeah. So he, he adjusts me, and I was just like, I was like, I guess my body's just not used to it. And he's like, you know, you're just not conditioned to do this kind of thing because you don't ever do it. And so what happens is you do it real intense for a short amount of time, and you're not acclimated for it. And he's like, that intensity is hard on you, physically. And I was thinking, oh, man, that's just like in the spirit, like our consistency. If I was doing that consistently, come on, it wouldn't be so hard on me. But the thing is, is I want to do it. I want to have these sporadic, oh, let's do it. Yeah, come on. Woo, I'm on fire. And it's gone two weeks. What God wants is continual burning fire that never goes out. It might look a little different today than it did last week. I can tell you, I've been serving Jesus for 20 years, and I can't look over any of those, those 20 years and say, well, that was, I just wasn't really loving God. Man, I've been like, you can ask Leslie, she's known me. I've always been hungry for God. I've always been hungry for more. And I don't know why, but I've learned that consistency. We used to take our kids to youth camp, and people would show up. Because we preach, man, every week. you got to be in your word. you got to be praying. So we didn't, when we were youth pastors, we, didn't, we weren't like, man, I can't just wait till camp and so my kids can start loving God again. It was not like that. You can ask Nathan. He was there in our, in our culture. Like, it was not like that. We were like, every week was like a camp experience. Why? We were consistent. We were consistent. We weren't trusting that there would be some event to fix them. Can I tell you that a life of consistency is greater than a moment of intensity? So don't wait for some big moment. Just go after it. Grind after it. Pray until something happens. Push. Pray until something happens. How long are you going to pray for it? Till it happens. 
And then I'm going to pray for something else to happen. Pray until something happens. Matthew 7, 7. Keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find it. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. Not I knocked on the door. I guess it wasn't God's will. I'm done here. What do you want? What do you want to see God do? What miracle do you want to see in your life? Are you willing to go after it? I'm going after it. What are you contending for? What are you fighting for? What are you going after? Say, man, God, I want to see this happen. I want to see the salvation of my brother. I want to see the salvation of my father. Are you going to go after it day in, day out, consistently, consistently, consistently? Not just have one prayer meeting. Have the prayer meeting, but keep going. Consistency counts. Number six, it comes with the cry. I love it, what it says right there in verse 22. It says, the Lord heard Elijah's cry. What is your cry? What are you believing God for? What is it? What is it in your life or in the life of someone else that you're believing God for? And I have, listen, I have this tendency to, I, I, to, to be so isolated with me and my family and our needs. And I'm not, I'm believing God for God to do something or in our church for me. It's like, I'm just believing God to do something in our church. I can get very isolated in my issues become so huge in my eyes. But what I've got to learn to do as, as a pastor is I've got to look outside and say, not what does God just want to do at Overflow Church? What does God want to do in Grand Prairie? And not just what God just want to do in Grand Prairie, but what does he want to do in Arlington? And what does he want to do in Mansfield? And what does he want to do in Euless? And what does he want to do in Irving? And what does he want to do in Dallas? And what does he want to do in Cedar Hill? What does God want to do in this area? What does God want to do in the Metroplex? I want in on that. If I would stop being so, if that would be, if I would just get focused on something outside of myself, what is your cry? I challenge with you that this morning. Don't just believe God for an in-house miracle. Let me say that again. Don't just believe God for an in-house miracle. What are you believing God for? Believe God for something bigger than what's within reach, than what's within your physical sight. Believe God. What are you willing to go to the upper room for? What are you willing to get uncomfortable for? What are you willing to sell out for and say, man, God, I want to see your will accomplished in this area. I want to see the kingdom come. I want to see miracles, signs, and wonders in this area of my life. And not in my life, but in my scope. See how like isolated I am? I'm like, in my life. Not in my life. Outside my life. Knowing that God will bring the miracle in me because he wants to bring the miracle through me.